Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we deep dive into a different aspect of film, a genre, director, actor, or franchise. It could be anything, but it's always fun at the Film Club. I'm Dean. I'm Boo. And this month we're talking about... Musicals. And this week we're talking about... The Sound of Music. That's right. It is The Sound of Music from 1965, directed by Robert Weiss, starring Julie Andrews, Christopher Plummer. It is three hours of pixie sticks and rainbows and nazis and nazis yeah they're nazis in this so i've never seen this movie before which is surprising yeah it's my mom's favorite movie but like even my mom knew she couldn't sit me down for three hours to watch this i mean granted if it had been a three-hour invisible man musical i would have come back for it but this is also one of those movies where I've always been, like, kind of tempted, but I have heard pretty much every song in this through just pop culture osmosis. Like, yeah. all this music has been parodied or just redone or shown commercials. somewhere. Commercials. Fam- I'm convinced that Seth MacFarlane of Family Guy fame, this is his favorite movie. It is. It is? It is. Oh, it re- actually is? That makes so much sense. But... Yeah, um, but I'll open with this. I've never seen it before. I watched it for the first time last night, and it's a really good movie. Okay. I, d- I did really enjoy it. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I, I do I do have points that I, I will bring up, but I mean, overall- you usually I do. Did, I did, overall, I did like it, you know? But, Miss Boo, what what about you? When was the, the first time you saw it, last time you saw it? Oh. You know, because well, you, you absolutely hate three-hour films- I don't. Um, it depends where we're sitting that I might have a, an issue with watching a three-hour film. But honestly, don't remember the first time I've seen this movie. Probably somewhere in my childhood. But in its entirety, I don't think I've watched it in over ten years. Really? Yeah. I mean, I know it's one of these movies that they put on ABC for, like, Easter. It's one of those holiday movies that gets put out once a year. Mm-hmm. And it ends up turning into a six-hour movie versus a three-hour. Because commercials and... Yeah. And this movie also does not lend itself well to being stopped every ten, no, ten you, minutes. No, you gotta keep going. And that was my biggest surprise watching it last night was the pacing is so good in this movie. Oh, yeah. It, it moves like a, a well-oiled machine. Just, you know, banger after banger after banger. And it's like, wow, all these movies or all these songs in this movie that I thought... Oh, these have to be spread apart and you're just dying to hear your favorite song. It's like, oh no. It's like it, it another opens one. Yeah. With with the sound of music. It opens yeah. with the hills are alive. It opens with that. Yeah. And then ten minutes after that, I think we're already into like a few of my favorite things. Ten minutes after that is like Do Re Me. Ten minutes after I like it's probably yeah. not that order, but it's every ten minutes there's another banger in there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, speaking of the sound of music, the title of the film, the title song of the film, also the most difficult scene to shoot because this film, a lot of it was shot on location in Austria. And this was shot at the top of a mountain. And, you know, this is a helicopter shot and they're sending Julie Andrews flying down to the ground because, yeah, helicopter propellers are very strong. And they're kind of swooping in at her really fast. Yeah, so it's like, you know, kudos to Dame Julie Andrews, who, you know, was really up there on the top of that mountain, getting knocked down and getting back up again to perform this song. I mean, she got down, but she got up again. Never gonna keep her down. Nope. But we have uh, the back of the box for The Sound of Music. For those who were like Dean and have never seen it before, but want to know 
what the movie's about. It's it's deep and intricate plot. But do people need to read the back of the box like you do with your smoking jacket on and the fire behind you? It's the only way to do it. Ah, I see. Now let us get this back of the box going. Mm-mm. In 1930s Austria, a fancifully minded nun named Maria is called on to be the new governess of the seven Von Trapp children after their mother's tragic death. When she arrives and sees how strict their naval officer father, Captain Von Trapp, is with the children, she takes it upon herself to show the children the wonders and fun of life through music. Aww. Let's, let's get it off in the audience. Aww. Aww. Great, great audience here. And through this, she earns the respect and love of Captain Von Trapp, much to the dismay of the Baroness who calls off their wedding so that the Captain and Maria may be together. But once they return from their honeymoon, they find that Austria has been annexed by the Third Reich. Surprise <gasps> Nazis! And they want Von Trapp for their navy. Boo. But Von Trapp, being a proud Austrian, refuses and must yay. yay and must escape Austria with his new wife and children before the Nazis close in and whisk them off to Berlin. Yuck. I've, I've actually never been to Berlin. I'd love to go visit Berlin, but you know, Nazi Berlin. Yeah. Hey, yeah, not not great, yeah. not great. But yeah, um, also I'm not like joking here. The Nazis show up last. 30 minutes in the movie 40 yeah, minutes something like that it's, you, you have the one early on but it's just it's this one little guy you know what's he gonna do and then he brings his nazi friends later he, and then they get bamboozled by a performance and it's just kind of like incompetent nazis am i right it's like really you know you're really gonna you know abduct this guy and do whatever to his wife and kids like yeah i, I don't believe it and it, it is it is weird okay because i i'm gonna say again i really did like this movie i think it's one of the more more entertaining movies we've oh, watched yeah. this year but there is one thing that i did have a, like you know, like i rubbed up against that and i was like yeah that's not eh. why are you rubbing up against things in this movie just uh, have you seen christopher Plummer? like please <sighs> but the thing is is the plotting of the movie we don't really get like an antagonist until the end of the movie the nazi thing we have one scene that kind of half mentions the Nazis, and that's in the first 30 minutes of the movie, and then they don't show up until the last 30 minutes in, of a three-hour movie. Yeah. So there's like two hours of like zero swastikas. and Which is good. Oh yeah, it's good, but then it's like, that's very jarring, you know? I just, I turn the corner of this happy-go-lucky Disney musical and boom, Nazis. And, but like, that's like the thing is, there's not a lot of setup, payoff, like traditional screenwriting going on here. But what is going on here is this really super cheery, super light, super happy romance going on. Yeah. And it's it's really cute. I'm going to say that. This movie is very cute. It Did is. you believe this movie was cute? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's one of the biggest musicals of all time, and it's not like... You know, oh, they're just saying it to say it. It's like, no, this movie is so grandiose and, you know, it's not just sets. It's like you, they're actually in this Austrian town, so you feel like you're there. And, I mean, even the scenes with the nuns are impressive. You know, the, the church, the wedding. It just feels larger than life. 
It's shot on 70 millimeter, yeah. and it is... It's beautiful. It is gorgeous. The cinematography in this movie is undeniable. I mean, I've always wanted to go to Vienna, and after watching this movie as an adult, I'm like, yeah. You want to I... go visit the Baroness? No, I just want to go to Vienna because... <laughs> Yeah, awesome. That's where Mozart's from. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, it's a gorgeous movie. Um, I know we were talking about antagonists, and we both didn't agree on this, but I felt like the Baroness was an antagonist, not in a malicious way, but towards the children. You know, this is going to be your new mother. And after them, you know, living with Maria and experiencing this bond that they have with her so fast... And the Baroness kind of doesn't know how to be, you know, a mom. And it's just kind of like that struggle of... I see where you're getting at because the Baroness is the antagonist because she stands in the way of Maria being like their mom. Yeah. Right? And the Baroness, she's like, well, as soon as we get married, I'm sending the kids off to boarding school. And I'm going to, like, they're going to have like a very traditional we are very wealthy aristocrats upbringing where you go to boarding schools you come home for the holidays yeah we've got a bunch of kids but do you see them running around this house no they're at boarding school and yeah they'll come home for like a week or two weeks for christmas and then they're back out the door again versus maria who's you know very much hands-on and you know Kids need to be kids. They need to play. They need to be loved and cared for. Yeah, Maria is a much more nurturing yes. figure than the Baroness. But I, it's weird because the Baroness does stand in the way of Maria and the Captain being together for like one scene, like right before the intermission. Mm -hmm. Then the intermission and then right after the intermission, like the first scene back. Then she's like, I see you are really in love with that None, and I, I can't stand in the way. And, sh and also, who's the lady that plays this Baroness, okay? Because she... Okay, Eleanor Parker. Mm -hmm. She gives one of the best acted, most soul-crushing just performances when she has to say to, to Captain Von Trapp that we would have never worked out anyway. I'm, I live one way, you live another. Now go make sure that woman never becomes a nun. Like... And she's almost in tears, <laughs> and Christopher Plummer is like, "Yes, I'm waiting for this conversation to be over." I, you know, you both, we both know, I'm going to make that woman not a nun anymore. Yes, yes, uh -huh, oh, I'm Christopher God. Plummer. They're like, do and not make him that creepy. You see that smile, that sly smile going on, where he's both like appreciative of the Baroness for seeing that. Yeah, her like him and the Baroness aren't really in love, and she's like, "No, I'm actually in love with you, but I love you enough to know that I wouldn't make." your life better yeah and i mean she will and it's like and it's, it's not such a good performance it's also not a thing where you know he's doing this because his kids need a mother it's like you know you genuinely can see that there is attraction between the captain and the baroness yes so it's not this thing of you know i'm doing this for my family you know i'm already not here to begin with so you know whoever steps in to be my wife whatever mm -hmm. but you see you see how maria challenges him and it's the thing where it's like, ooh, she drives me crazy, but I actually care about what she says. And with the Baroness, she's very much, you know, you're the man, you take the lead, and I will go over here while you're scolding um, the governess. It's it's kind of interesting that you bring that up, because the, is the movie commentating on that kind of traditional gender role dynamic of a relationship? Because, like, 
oh, the Baroness is like, Captain, you you take care of everything. You're the disciplinarian. I'm just the wife. It's okay. Blah blah blah. Or, and then Maria challenges him, and that's like, no, like I'm like I'm an equal to you. I'm not yeah. subservient to you. I know what's best for the fucking children, same as you are. I mean, I think one of my favorite lines in the movie is once uh, Maria comes in and she's trying to change things. She wants to make the kids clothes, and she just wants to make life easier for them. And the captain tells her, you know, Maria, were you this much of a problem down at the Abbey? And she goes, oh, no, I was much worse. And she's like, she's like, no, she's very on it. She's like, yeah, I was getting in trouble all the time. I was doing this and that. But, you know, wasn't done in a malicious way. It's, and <laughs> it's I like, think, I love her. I think that's the thing. And also, yeah, no, I, I love Julie Andrews in this. She is, again, Christopher Plummer says it was horrible working with her because it was like being beaten over the head with a Valentine's Day card covered in glitter for 24 hours. But I love that a lot of these epic movies, these greatest films of all times, the actors were like, oh man, you know, I just got hired onto this horrible picture. It's the worst one I ever made. And it ends up being these timeless classics. And it's like, maybe I was wrong about that one. It's like Christopher Plummer has never turned back on his disdain for this movie. No, but, he, he but grew Julie soft Andrews, over that, and, you know, up until his death, they were close friends. Oh, yeah, no, it wasn't a thing where he was like, God, I hated everyone at work, and he's like, God, I thought that movie was trash, I do not see what you see in it. Yeah, he, yeah Julie was okay. Yeah, he, Julie's alright. But, um, what was I saying? But, uh, in the movie, right, Julie Andrews is, like, happy and sunshine and glitter and rainbows, and the nuns talk about her, like... She drove a, 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 a fucking Harley up and down the halls, like, was lighting cherry bombs, being like, oh, what do you think of Maria? She's a demon. She is evil. And others like, oh, she's so sweet and kind. And I'm like, I don't, what is the worst thing she does in this movie? Well, it's being it. like, kind, kind of talky backy to people. Like, is that it? Well, does it, that make you a demon? It's interesting because this movie is based on a true story. Maria Von Trapp and the captain and the children were real people. Yeah. Uh, this is based off of Maria's memoirs from 1949, I believe. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, she helped the filmmakers make this movie, even though they ended up ultimately kicking her off the set because she was a little too... They said pushy, but if they're making a story about you, your husband, and your family, you're going to be in there to say, no, this is how my family actually was. But I thought it was the most Maria thing was that when they were talking about Maria in the movie and, oh my gosh, she's just, you know, raising a ruckus at the Abbey. And she was kind of like, wow, they really tamed a... Uh, Maria down in the movie because I did some things growing up and it's just like damn Maria what were you doing oh lord well well here's here's the interesting thing about that because this is based on a true story yes. right and you know Maria Von Trapp saying hey this isn't true to the true to my life like my husband was never like that yeah like she's like I was never this happy-go-lucky she's like I I kind of had a temper like and I she was, wanted to, I was a very passionate person and it was a thing where she had wanted to go back to the convent and it was like no you need to stay there and you need to help with the kids so it's like in the movie Maria didn't want to go back she had to go back because she was in love with the captain and she just couldn't be in this position where He's off and he's married and she kind of just has to sit there and watch with a broken heart. And also the whole thing where, like, the kids are all aged down, like, a decade. And also, like, 
I think when Maria showed up, there were only three kids, and then when they fled Austria, they then there was like seven or ten. Yeah, that and I like wasn't when they, sure about. And I think when they fled, like some of the kids were already in like their twenties or whatever. But it see, but that's like the thing. It's like, like we get it. This isn't a documentary. It's like we're telling, we're trying to tell a story here. Yeah. And what they're putting on screen, I'm like, okay, I get the gist. Mm-hmm. And also, like, this is a musical, and musicals are fantasy, right? Yeah. And it. It works enough to where I'm like, I get the gist of what, you know, this Maria Von Trapp dynamic probably was, but I think I probably would have not been okay if this was, you know, the 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 true life drama that Maria Von Trapp really wanted. No, I just think- You know, I think- I think she I just think wanted- I liked it as is. Oh, no, I, I love this movie, and I understand why the studio and the writers decided to go a certain way with it. I mean, but then again, I could understand from her and her children's side where they were just like, yo, our dad wasn't like this. He was actually a nice guy. But it's like, I understand in the movie. That, that's probably why she hated it. She's like, you did my, my husband dirty. Why is Christopher Plummer so mean? But it's like, you know, you get it. It's like, okay, you know, he is grieving and in his grief, he's reverting back to his naval training. And I'm going to treat the kids like they're my soldiers because I just can't bear that we were once a happy family and that person that made us all happy is gone. But on the same token, I thought it was also funny that Maria Von Trapp was like, yo, my husband didn't look like Christopher Plummer. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, damn, Maria. Is, is, wait, was that like a real thing? <laughs> she said it in a, it's quoted somewhere where she was like, yeah, my husband didn't look like him. Okay. So like, I know Christopher Plummer as old Christopher Plummer, yeah. you know, like nice out Christopher mm-hmm. Plummer or like, like, you know, Post-1990 Christopher Plummer, yeah. right? I'm seeing him in this, and I'm like, yeah, you you probably could have been a Bond. Yeah, you probably could have oh, definitely yeah. been a Bond. It, and I also find it funny where it's like, Christopher Plummer was like, yeah, when I was on set, yeah, apparently every woman on the crew just fell in love with me. I don't know mm. why. I was, I felt I was very standoffish. And then that Christopher Plummer smile disappears, just that coy <laughs> smile, and it's like, he knew. He, he knew. He, he knew. He knew. He knew. But, um, yeah, so, the... You know, this this is a musical, right? Yes. And it's a Roger and Hammerstein musical, and... This is their last musical together. Yeah, and Rogers and Hammerstein, they do... They didn't do West Side Story, right? Robert Weiss did West Side Story, the director he of did, this. He did, yes. Yeah, which is a, another thing. Like, he did... Robert Weiss, who was the editor on Citizen Kane, was like, Oh, I'm gonna direct uh, West Side Story in, like, 1960. Oh. Oh, you like that? Okay. Yeah, hold my beer. I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna do it better. And he does the sound of music, right? But Rodgers and Hammerstein, they're, like, real big in, like, that stage musical, like, world, right? Yeah. I'm trying to think, have they, is there anything in their catalog that's bigger than Sound of Music? Well, they've done a lot of things, but some of their biggest was, like, Oklahoma that came out in 1943, Carousel, 45, uh, South Pacific, and mostly, and this movie's kind of tied in with The Sound of Music, is The King and I in 1951. Okay. And there was a lot of drama because a lot of people felt like that The Sound of Music was a ripoff of The King and I. Uh, really? Yeah, they really thought that, oh, they're just being lazy and they're taking from The King and I because The King and I is basically this woman, this governess that comes in to take care of the children. And this strict man ends up kind of becoming soft and falling in love for you know with her. And it's just like, yeah, you know, I could see some of the comparisons, but it's two very different stories. So, a woman who brings joy and happiness and song 
flies in, saved from a, from the sky on a on a uh, this umbrella is not and Mary helps Poppins. the children. Oh come on! This came this... out before Mary Poppins. No, this came out after Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins oh, sorry, was in '84. Yeah. Also, yeah. I'm going to fight Poppins. you on this. This it's, is just Mary Poppins. It's not Mary Poppins. It is Mary Poppins with an extra hour tacked onto it. Does she fly away with an umbrella? No. She's cl- You see her like spinning on those hilltops. A few more spins. She's catching air. Do we have Julie the- Andrews? Actually, was lifted off her feet in in the you know behind the scenes from those helicopter blades. Yeah, but do we have you know the magic carpet bag with just a whole bunch of things coming out of it? No. I mean, she does have a carpet bag in this movie. But nothing fantastical comes out of it. Joy, in song. That that comes from her heart. That doesn't come from the bag. But but I'm j- I'm just bring- pointing it out right because you know this does have similarities you know like you said to the king and I mm-hmm. it's a very like tried and true yeah. story right you know this strict guy uh, he's like oh life is like this yada yada and mm-hmm. then this kind of ditzy but like full of life woman comes in and just shows him oh no that's not it let me change you and then oh they fall in love happily ever after I wouldn't classify her as ditzy she's more just free-spirited i'm i'm not saying like i'm just using ditzy because it's a fun word okay ditzy uh-huh. yeah, yeah yeah so cute but this is similar very similar in like plot for the most part to the to mary poppins you know yeah and she comes in she helps him out like you know the her and the father you know make amends yada 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 but she's there for the kids and it was you know it was an issue for julie andrews because she had just come off mary poppins she read the script for this and it was kind of like, this is a lot like Mary Poppins. I don't want to get typecast as this type of character, but lucky for all of us, she went through with it. And I don't think if anyone had stepped in, it would have been the same movie. Who else was going to be the, the backup for this? Because Julie Andrews, she did like, like her first movie is Mary Poppins. This yeah. is her second movie. And, and what's crazy is that in between takes for this movie, she would sing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious for the kids. And uh, the crew, they kind of thought that she just came up with this on the fly just to kind of keep Entertain the kids. Entertain the kids. Yeah, and it was like, no, this is from my first upcoming movie. I probably shouldn't, but, you know, like, just keep it a secret. Don't don't, don't reveal that secret. <laughs> that That's adorable, by the way. Yes. But, like, this is her second movie. Yeah. And could you, could you even imagine that? Like, she is... I, I don't even know how old she is in this. What, like, 25, 26? She's young. So, like, she's, like, a young upstart actress, right? And she does one of, arguably, the biggest Disney movies of the era in Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah. And then she does literally the biggest movie of all time, at the time, The Sound of Music. And those are her two back-to-backs. And then it, it's fascinating to me. You look at the rest of her career. Like, the 70s were kind of not kind to her like she does like the pink panther movies but she's not like this big box office like quadruple a star she's more like oh yeah it wasn't until like the 90s where she was able to be like i am you know the the old guard classical hollywood actress like you know social respect onto my name but the 70s and 80s she had kind of a very weird career where it didn't like build off of these it's almost like you know, people started to reject her because they looked at her as like, you are way too bubblegum and sunshine for the 1970s new Hollywood. Yeah, that's true. I mean, she's been in, you know, a lot of movies. Um, 
A lot of stage, a lot of TV. A lot of stage, yeah. And later, like in the 2000s, she becomes part of the Princess Diaries franchise. Mm. So she's back in with Disney. But yeah, I mean, just these two movies that she did in her late 20s, early 30s, she was locked in. And I mean, it's like, what a way to begin your career with your two biggest films. And I mean, it's not just two biggest films for you. It's two of the biggest films to ever grace the screen. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is one of those things where, like, you know, her career solidified, right? This, this is our Julie Andrews moment, right? Yeah. Her career solidified forever. Mm-hmm. It's just fascinating to me that the cultural census of, you know, the that new Hollywood era of, like, fight the man, you know, we're going to make, like, real movies, Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. Easy Rider, you know, we're making those movies now. They just turn tail and, like, re- completely reject the sound of music. There's this story of this town in, I think it's, like, Minnesota. It's, like, a college town. And right after Sound of Music comes out, it's the biggest movie ever. They play, it was the only movie that played in that theater for five months. I could believe it. And the students protested. They were like, we are done with rainbows. Give us a new movie. And well, I think yeah, that's fa- when... it's fancy that the count, like the younger crowd and counterculture, just straight rejected the movie. It well, was I you mean, know that family and older generation that still accepted it. If it's the same thing over and over, yeah, I could see why people would be pissed off because it's one movie over and over again. Uh, what I found most interesting was you know for a movie that was filmed in Austria and it's supposed to be about Austrian you know people. The people of Austria really didn't know anything about the movie because this was a foreign film to them. Mm-hmm. So they didn't get it a lot later. So people would come to visit and they'd be like, oh, The Sound of Music and Edelweiss. And they'd be like, what? Like, what, what are you talking about? Well, the other thing is that Austria and Germany and a lot of those countries have a very, very, very strict policy of no swastikas. Yeah. So there's there's actually I think there's an actual cut of this movie mm-hmm. where there is no second half. It ends at the wedding and I think that was the version that got released in like Germany or Austria or whatever like when the movie got released cuz yeah. they're like we are not going to talk about the war just that's behind us. It was a bad it was a bad few years. We're ba- we're sorry. But there's a cut of that movie that kind of exists which is weird. But yeah, like in America, this just, like, took off, and I'm fascinated because this was the highest-grossing movie of all time for, yeah. for like, like five years the, until, until um, The Godfather, right? Yeah, I believe so, and this was one of the movies that was the greatest soundtrack of all time. It was a thing where I think they made over 11 million copies of this soundtrack was sold, and it was just, like... This is a soundtrack in the 60s. It's not like now where soundtracks, you know... You can download on Spotify. You can get it on YouTube. Not only that, but, you know, for some movies, uh, they give it to one artist and they're like, okay, this is yours to craft and make the sound as much as the movie as you can. Or it's a a collaboration between many artists. Back then it was just, yeah, you know, here's here's the vinyl of this if you want to listen to this. But it's like, to have 11 million copies of that... Because people just absolutely loved this movie. It, it's 11 million copy soundtrack. It's It was the number one most sold VHS for five years. And it's it's something that's wild to me. Because this movie is beloved. Oh, yeah. And, like, I, I get, like... I get, like, there's things not, not, like, working in the movie. Right? 
you know, the plot, it, it doesn't really exist for, like, the first half of the movie. The acting is good if, like, you know, it's if it's not, like, a little one-sided in some scenes. But, like, the, the movie is just joy for three hours. And I am just so surprised that the audience of 65 with, like, Kennedy's assassinated, Vietnam's on the horizon, mm -hmm. are like, yeah, sound of music, you just, you just do you, buddy. You just, just go for it. I mean, since we're kind of like on the conversation of money, 20th Century Fox paid over a million dollars for the rights of this movie. And I mean, you know, a million dollars in 65? 65. Yeah. 65 is I mean, a... production 64, but yeah. That's a lot of money, but this is while they were still reeling from Cleopatra in 63. Actually, yeah. That's like kind of the backstory of this. Like the reason they made Sound of Music was because I think it was the same producer from Gone with the Wind was like, all right, boys, we're going to go under unless we got a big hit. Mm -hmm. I got an idea. And he pushed in all of his chips to save the studio on Sound of Music. It's the same thing that happened with Ben-Hur, mm -hmm. Ten Commandments, all that stuff where they're like, Look, our studio is going to go under, so we're going to push in as every dime we have into this to try and save it. And this movie actually surpassed Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Yeah, because this was, um, Gone with the Wind was the all-time box office champ movie. Yeah. And this movie comes along and completely is like, oh, that that's your box office? That That's cute. Let, let me show you ours. And it's just, you know, basically a vault, a bank vault of just... Yeah, people want to come see this. We got you. And, it, and they're going to keep keeps, coming back and watching it. And it keeps paying off. I'm still sure that they're making like royalty music money off of this, off of a few of my favorite things. Because that plays like every Christmas. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, what was it? I think it was the Grammys a few years ago. Ariana Grande performed uh, some of my favorite things before her actual set. So it's like, it's still very much being loved and appreciated by you know famous artists today but also by the crowd and it's kind of an interesting thing i was going to get to this was that i guess every year at the hollywood bowl they do a sing-along version of this movie mm. and i guess you know the craziest part of this you know because people buy you know buy out the tickets for this show people show up they sing they dress up they get in character but the actresses and the actors who were the children in the movie and some of the Von Trapp children, the real children, show up to these sing-alongs and they perform too. Oh, that is just, that's just adorable. And it's consistent that those sh shows sell out because, you know, you're not only experiencing one of the greatest movies of all time to live music, you have some of the actors from the movies, you have some of the people that lived out the life, the... The, the, the real life story. The real life story, yeah. This movie, it stuns me how much money it made. I don't think I can impart that on people. No. Because <laughs> they, they do not make movies like this anymore. No. Like, this isn't... This is like if Avengers came out of nowhere and there was no buildup and it made Avengers money. Yeah. Like, it is wild how much money this made. This is like Top Gun Maverick, where it's like, yeah. I thought that movie was going to make a bit of money. It would do fine. It's like the sixth highest grossing movie of all time now. They had to bring it back to the theater because people were like, no, I still want to go see this on the big screen. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the sound of music. This movie played for like two years in theaters. Yeah. Uh, and it's wild to me. Wild to me. But I wanted to ask you this because, you know, we're talking about you know, the movie's beloved and it made all this mm. money, but 
you know, the actual movie and why it's beloved, what is your most, you know, favorite song, favorite scene? Where's, what, where is your oh. thing where it just hits you in that nice, you know, all happy place? I mean, growing up, I think 16 going on 17 was my favorite song of the movie. Mm. Because, you know, I was a teenager and it's just kind of cute, this banter where it's, you know, yeah, you're 16 going on 17 and you should really be with me because I'm 17 going on 18 so I know what's up. And it's kind of like, oh, that's cute. You know, they're both it's, kids. It, it's a very tongue-in-cheek song. Yeah, you know, they're both kids and they want to be together. And But um, I think my favorite song now as an adult is So Long, Farewell. Oh, that, that that's a good one. That's a good yeah, one. Oh, it, which rendition? The the first one at the party or the last one at no, the... No, the first one. The first one at the party? Yeah, oh, okay. the first one at the party. I mean, the, the one at the end is sad. It's a very small, truncated version. Yeah, and the one in the beginning... You know, you just see the the captain, you know, swelling with pride because, you know, it's my kids and they're so happy to be part of this. But it's such a beautiful set, too. Mm-hmm. This, you know, castle that I'm, I'm sure is on a soundstage. It's not a real house. Yeah, I think all the exteriors were like real location. All the interiors were filmed in like L.A. Yeah, but it's just this thing, you know, this grandiose castle and, you know, they're putting on this performance. And then you have the people that are there for the party that kind of, you know at the end, give that farewell to them. It's just a cute scene. It is probably one of the better staged scenes in the movie. And kind of speaking of staging, because we watched Singing in the Rain last mm-hmm. week, and that movie is, you know, oh, it's a musical, there's a big dance number, all the staging and the, dancing. The dream sequence. Huge dream sequence. This is like, there's like one dance number in the movie, and it's just, it's literally like, you know, ballroom dance stuff. There's yeah. no, like, the Gene Kelly ain't here, you know, tapping up a storm, you know, doing, you know, doing, all, you know, a few of my favorite things while running up and down the walls, no. which is kind of weird. Yeah, but I love that, you know, as simplistic as the dance scene is, because it's, they're basically having a party at the Von Trapp house, and it's the kids that are, wow, look at the girls in their gowns and the guys in their tuxes, but you also see the moment that Maria and the captain fall in love with this folk dance that they're doing and they yeah. do and they do such a good job of it too because you could just see the emotion and it's like wow you know just like that they they have feelings for each other now do you think that's when they fell in love because I, I think th- there's a part in the movie where they say oh the first time i fell in love with you when you sat on the pine cone and she's like the first time i fell in love with you was when you rang the, the whistle and i'm like bullshit <laughs> uh, i think it's just one of those things where it's just it's an absurd moment but just the way that they were able to kind of you know react to it it was kind of like you know what you're all right you know a lot of people would have stormed out of the room if they sat on a pine cone but you took it like a champ and you put the pine cone in your pocket and, like, and I, she's like you just blow that whistle all day is no, that just, the implication no it was just like are you kidding you're in a house blowing your whistle like really i'm madly in love with you and, now and, take and, me you magnificent beast and it's just this thing you know his you know oh yeah well it's a big house and big property so i gotta blow the whistle so the kids know she's like you just want to blow the whistle that's all it amounts to oh but it, I, I like how he has like designated whistles for each different kid like that's funny oh, to me oh i would not know my you know you know beep beep beep, beep. like i i would not know it's so funny i'd be in trouble all the time it's like well i did your call and it's like yeah you could do my call a hundred times. I'm still not going to pick that up. Uh, but what was but, yours? Oh, like my when there, I thought they fell in love. 
No, your your favorite. Um, oh, oh yeah, my, song or number in my, the movie. Well, my favorite song is a few of my favorite things mm-hmm. in that. Again, that's like one of the songs in this where I'm like, this is from Sound of Music. <laughs> really, I thought this was one of those like Christmas standards from like the fucking no, teens. No, no, no. Yeah, again, you can say. No, Dean, no, stupid, stupid Dean. Like, I don't know these things. But yeah, I really did enjoy that number. I liked it because that's when, like, the kids accepted her. I liked that during that sequence, like, she, like, becomes part of the family, right? Even if she's not accepted by the captain, the kids are like, no, 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 you, you cool. We like you. We're scared during the storm and you're here not just telling me it's going to be okay, but you're making the storm fun. Yeah. and. But I think that's, like, the best number in the mm-hmm. movie. The best scene, I really think, is when the Baroness is telling Captain Von Trapp, you know, don't worry, this this wasn't going to work out anyway, like that breakup scene. Mm-hmm. Because she's, like, on the verge of tears, but she's smiling, trying to, like, play it off. Like, don't worry, I'm the Baroness. Like, nothing gets to me. I'm too, too aloof mm-hmm. and cute for this bullshit. And Captain Von Trapp is like, oh, I... I know you're too too aloof for this, as he's smiling that Christopher Plummer smile, where he's like, don't worry, honey, I'll make that woman not a nun anymore as soon as you end this conversation. <sighs> the, she, the, one, she says that in the movie. She says, go make that woman not a nun anymore. And he's like, oh, don't worry, I'm on my way. <laughs> and, yeah, he, and, he, just, and he trots off. It's just more vulgar when you say it. Oh, of course it is. Again, I do it for comedy. But it's like, you know, in that scene, you could just see how in love he is with her. He can't keep his eyes off of Maria. Even though she's standing right there and it's just like, yeah, you're catching me. Look at another woman. But it's just, you know, that's the person for me, not you. Mm-hmm. But interesting. Did you know who originally they wanted to be the Baroness for this movie? No, no. I, I was going to try and take a shot in the dark, but I, I ain't got nothing. What do you got? Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly? Mm-hmm. God, rear window was what, 55? Somewhere in there. She's already a princess. Okay. So... That was this why is already, or, already, she, um, she had already Queen retired. Kelly. Yeah, she had already retired from acting. But originally they wanted uh, Princess Grace Kelly to be the Baroness. That, I'm like, okay. That would be interesting. I don't know if she'd... I mean, I guess that would be kind of interesting to see, like, Grace Kelly as the Baroness. Huh. I'd be like, wait, don't go, don't go. <laughs> I, I, would, I would be like, I mean, like, he, he actually Andrews is cute and all, but like... That's, that's Grace Kelly. <laughs> She's literally a princess. She is. Oh, uh, that's that's something else. So, but um, so the Baroness, like the first choice was Grace Kelly. Mm. Was Judy Dent not Judy Dench? Julie Andrews. Get always, your dames in order. I'm trying to get my dames in order. Was she always the first choice for Maria? I think they had a couple of other people, but I think she was the front runner. Mm. And I mean, she's been singing. For a long time, even before she got into movies. So it was just this thing where she's always been solid. And I think, you know, you want to run with an actress that, you know, can keep going. Because I know a lot of the kids struggled because it's a lot of work to be running, jumping, singing, uh, diving into water. It's just like... Well, also, this this movie took so long for production that some of these kids went from, like... Five nothing to five yeah. eight from like gross spurts. Some of the boys hit like puberty. I think one of the boys, the blonde one, he had to have his hair bleached for like a year. Yeah, because took, because it, like he was supposed to be a blonde in the movie and he's not a natural blonde. No, it took a long time for this movie to get filmed. I think all the filming that they were supposed to do in Salzburg was supposed to last for 
three weeks, somewhere in there. It ended up being three months that they filmed over there. Yikes. And it's like, that is a very long time to be filming on location. Oh, yeah, especially in a foreign country where they're like, don't worry, we have these hotels lined up for like, you know, a couple of weeks. And you're living in a hotel room Mm -hmm. for months on end. And it's like, I can only get continental breakfast for so long before I start going stir crazy. I mean, this is Vienna. I wonder what their breakfasts are like. I gotta do research now. Schnitzel and beer is my best guess. No beer for me, but I'll take the schnitzel. (sighs) So, um, but... The the movies, like, I, I feel there are a lot of, like, really good scenes and a lot of good musical numbers. Yeah. It's just the thing where I feel like the movie is almost this this perfect capsule to deliver great musical numbers. where Because, like, the movie itself, like, the cinematography is undeniable. Mm-hmm. It's great. All right? It's 70 millimeter. It's really beautiful. There's never... They have never shot mountains as pretty as this. No. You feel like you're there. Exactly. And the, you know, the, the acting is really good. Like, Christopher Plummer is, like, showing up to work. Even if he hated the movie. Yeah. He didn't. He he showed up. Like, he's doing a great performance here. Julie Andrews is, j- again, just magnetic and charming. She is like Gene Kelly, where, eh, may not be able to do Shakespeare, but there's enough charisma just coming out of her. You do not care. And the actual, like, love story is just so, like, cute and soft and warm and fun that you don't really notice until when the Nazis show up. And it's just a thing where I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to come to terms with that. Because the movie, as like, a, as like a movie, almost doesn't work, but this as an experience works wonderfully. Yeah, because when you said earlier, you know, when this went to like the German audiences and they cut it where, you know, it ends at the wedding. Mm. I could totally see that being, you know, the entire movie. Okay, there's conflict between Maria and the captain. Oh no, it's really feelings. They're one big happy family. We cut after the the wedding. And it's like, okay, you know, that's that's that, a good that, That's a movie. That that's a good love story. And then you add in the elements of actual, you know, world history where no, you have the Nazis looming and they want Captain Von Trapp for their fleet. What are they going to do? And it's like I think that adds a good curveball into the story. But it also kind of works in a way, because I know you feel like it comes out of completely nowhere. Well, well the other thing is, it, it feels like in the second half, um, Maria's character almost becomes like a non-factor. Mm-hmm. Because the first half, we're following Maria and her, like, integrating into the family. Mm-hmm. And the second half, now we're following this almost, like, you know, um, like, escape from the Nazis, like, you know, adventure movie. But that's mm-hmm. only in the last 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. It feels like it is it is a movie of two parts. Like, if it ended in the first half, that's a complete film. But if it... And the second half almost feels like we need to give this movie a good, action-y, plotty thing to really tie the room together. Yeah. That I feel almost as unnecessary. I mean, I kind of felt like, you know, the way that they broke it up also kind of goes to that childhood innocence where... You know, everything is so happy and sunshine and rainbows. And now the Nazis are here and we have to leave our home and we have to flee. So it's like, I kind of feel like, you know, we're living in like, you know, that headspace of the children where it's just, you know, we're having a good time. We want Maria to join our family. She does. And then, oh, no, this is happening in the world. This is kind of out of nowhere. Mm, I see. So do you think actually that's is this movie taking perspective from the children 
That's the way I interpret it. Mm, okay. But I don't know if that's solid. I mean, I mean, I think I think it makes sense because like the first half, you know, we're I mean, yeah, we're following Maria for for like a lot of it, and she's like obviously our main character. Yeah. But it does feel like everything is so like beautiful and wonderful, and it does feel like this is through the eyes of nostalgia of a child of like I remember the beauties of. Of the Alps before the war, and I remember, oh, my stepmother used to dance and sing and gallivant, and my father, he was so strict, until, like, my new stepmom came in and made everything wonderful. It feels like this is a retelling of, like, maybe not, like, Liza, the oldest one, but maybe, like, one of the younger... Liesel. Liesel. it Maybe one of the younger kids, like, retelling this to somebody else, mm-hmm. and it's a very, like happy dreamy you know musical kind of kind of thought you know it's a very yeah. nostalgic piece for like oddly enough like pre-war austria yeah. which is kind of weird but i wonder if that's why this movie like struck a chord with so many people where like a lot of the older audiences are like man that was before that was before the world was rough you know? i mean yeah because i mean this is 65 so a lot of people had you know adults had lived through the Second World War, so, you know, you see, like, uh, Do Re Mi, when they're going from the top of the mountain through the, the town, and, you know, they're dancing around statues, and they're running and having a good time, and it's like, yeah, you could totally see, you know, this is childhood innocence, where it's just, you're out and about in town, and there's no real threat. You know something I just had a, I just had a realization with, hmm. and, I, and you brought me on to this. So yeah, this is 1965, war ends in 45, 46, so this is like 20 years out, right? Mm. So if you were a GI or whatever, you'd be like 40-something now, yeah. right? So you'd be like 40, you'd probably have a couple of kids who are in like the 10, 12 range, right? So, you know, you're like, you, you're you probably like, yeah, the war the war was rough, and now you're, at now this movie comes out, which is this nostalgic-y, big, epic, wonderful family movie that is hearkening back to a time before the war, before the the culturally defining moment of the 20th century occurred, which was World War II. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, let's just, let's just like look at this and just look how fucking wonderful life was before the fucking Nazis showed up. Yeah, and they ruined everything. And I think that, and I think that is probably why this movie struck such a cultural chord with so many people especially families because this is like the family movie yeah but i do gotta know do you think this movie would have worked better if it just cut at the at the wedding no i mean does it is it absolutely necessary for the last bit with the nazis we do because i mean it's authentic to this family this real life family you know we need to see why they left the country and i mean i i kind of think that that's one of my favorite facts about the movie you know they leave by you know going through the mountains and you know you have climb every mountain i think that's the name of the song uh-huh. you know you have that and you feel like oh you know together anything is possible but in reality they were tipped off i think a day before mm-hmm. and they were able to take a train to italy and then eventually come to the united states but you know and you know the climax of a big epic movie Something like that isn't gonna, you know, be that exciting to audiences. You need something where, you know, 
well, yeah, we'll just climb across those mountains. We'll be good. Robert Wise is like, we got the helicopter for another two days, guys. I think we got got to take it, you know? (laughs) Let's use that helicopter. It's... It is kind of funny to me how, you know, the movie is, is it is based on a true story and it's doing a lot to try and stay true to it and it's doing a whole lot more to be like, guys, we got to make it cinematic here. Maria, did you ever, you know, run across the Alps and spin around and, you know, sing epic show, show tunes? She's like, no, I mean, I, I don't think so. Oh, we're going to do that. It's going to be great. It'll be on 70 millimeter. Yeah, and, it you know, this is real, so... You know, they were able to escape. I think they escaped the day before um, all the borders were shut. Yeah, I think that one tracks because, again, like the timing of the movie, because I don't think it ever gives us a date. It just says in the last golden years of yeah. 1930, which, again, is like another thing where it's harkening to a very nostalgic time, a very like rose tinted glasses time. But what what's interesting is, you know, people have done the research and, you know, what had happened, what would have happened if they had gone through the mountains. And apparently, if they had traveled through the mountains, they would have hit Hitler's retreat. So it's a thing where it's like, you got to look at like, you know, movie history and, you know, world history and kind of like, you know, this works for the movie. Well, but not realistically, well, because this is something that's kind of interesting. You know why they fled that tip off or whatever? Hitler wanted the Von Trapp family singers to come and sing for his birthday party. And they just oh, were like, geez. hey, sorry, we can't make it this year, Hitler. Like, we're, we're very booked up. Then he sent another, like, letter being like, no, I would really like you to come and do it. Like Doing no. the whole, like, you know, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, you're showing up. I'm the Chancellor of Germany. Like, fuck no. No, they were fuck like. Fuck your birthday party. <laughs> exactly. But no, they were like. Oh yeah, this is uh this isn't gonna end well. Hey kids, pack up the bags. Yes, yes, you know, grab grab some snacks for the road, and then they and then they left. But I love that you know, the nuns help them to escape, and we get that almost car chase. <laughs> yes. And I love because uh, I was thinking like, damn, if someone had gotten out there and you know flattened the the Nazis' tires to help them get away, because it's been a long time since I've seen the entirety of the movie, mm-hmm. and I was trying to remember what happens. And then you hear them starting up the car, and it's not working. And you have the the two sisters, and they're like, "Mother, um, we've, Mother Superior, uh, I think I've sinned. Uh, we've sinned." And you just see them, you know, pull out random parts of the car that they pulled out. And it's like, "Yes, sister, thank you, sister." <laughs> uh, like sisters, I, I love the sisters in this movie, where they were just kind of like, "Oh, Maria, you are giving us all a headache, but I will help you. And I will help, be there." And help they did. They did. But. That is The Sound of Music. Uh, Any final thoughts before we hit the wrap-up here? I do have a boo trivia fact. All right, give us your one boo trivia fact. You got one. I got one. one. Let's see it. And I know that this one is especially for you. So one of the children, because we have two boys in the brood. Yeah. So do you want to guess what actor auditioned to be one of the boys? Probably Kurt Russell? Yes, yeah, you almost course. you almost got Kurt Russell in The Sound of Music. Was he going to play Kurt? That would have been perfect. It would have been. I don't know who he auditioned for. I mean, this is 65, so I don't know how old Kurt Russell he was. He would have been about the age to be like, like the, I think, the, the older, youngest boy. The youngest or the older one? The younger one, I, I would believe. He'd be like 13, I guess. I don't, I actually have no idea how old Kurt Russell is, but that's fascinating. Yeah, so you almost got Kurt Russell in this movie. <laughs> I love Kurt Russell. He's great in like everything. I know, he's your favorite. 
But that is The Sound of Music. Sorry if this was kind of a light episode. This is kind of a light movie. The only way you can really experience it is by watching it. And I think that goes with our roundup because I recommend two thumbs up. You watch this movie. I would also give a two thumbs up recommendation on it. The movie is weird. Like, it's kind of... It's kind of awkward, but it is just such an experience. It's such a good time. It's kind of awe-inspiring that the movie works how well it does. On the lowest of keys, I'd be kind of tempted to go see this at the Hollywood Bowl. I would too, just to see it on like a really big screen like the that could hold the 70 millimeter here. And to, you know, actually hear the music performed live. Yes, but that was the sound of music. What are we doing next week? Next week, it's finally my turn to talk about some of my favorite musicals. It was supposed to be this week. It was, but Dean wanted to jump ahead, so it's my turn. And next week, we're going to be talking about Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Marilyn Monroe and uh, Jane Russell? You're correct. Oh, I'm so good at this. <laughs> I've never, I've only ever seen um, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. I've only seen that song number. I know literally nothing else about this movie. You've also seen the costumes from this movie. They're at the Academy Museum. I've seen the costumes. I've seen only those two things. So I'm I'm excited uh, to Lots finally figure out what this is Lots of movies you haven't seen this month. Well, yeah, you know, I saw a lot of musicals, but they were mostly like Rocky Horror, Little Shop of Horrors, you know, like stuff like that. I've seen West Side Story probably like 40 times. Again, I have no memory of it, but I, I know I saw it a lot. <sighs> But, but yes, next week we'll be talking about Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, and YouTube. Yep, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is The Film Vault on YouTube, where we have, you know, slideshow versions of this podcast. We try and call them videos, but they, they ain't. But you can like, comment, subscribe there. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can go to... The Film Club Podcast on Instagram, where we post daily stories, upcoming episodes, trivia, and our random event- eh, random adventures we go on. Ah, uh, almost got out of this without messing it up. <sighs> I know, so close. But with that, we'll see you next week at The Film Club. Yes. Oh yeah, you were supposed to say that. I was. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. Bye. Bye.